Blog Talk Radio. <clears throat> Good evening, everyone, and welcome to the 532nd edition of the Feuerstein's Fire American Soccer Show. I'm your host, Daniel Feuerstein. I'll give you American perspective, our clubs, leagues, players, national team, and other fabulous moments. You get your daily reading from me and other writers in the soccer department over at jerseysportingnews.com. Chat room is open. Come on in. Discuss amongst yourselves if you like. You have a question for me, I'll try to answer it to the best of my abilities. And once again, we've come to the end of another Feuerstein's Fire American Soccer Show season. And, um, you know, for the last two seasons, we have had probably the roughest ride when it comes to this sport uh, with the era of the coronavirus, of course, uh, a little over two years now, and almost two years, I should say, because it actually truly got started around the middle of March of 2020. <laughs> so in reality, it's almost going to be two years in next March, of course. And what we have seen from this coronavirus has been, you know, really, you know, it's it's hit people hard. It's also seen some incredible division between our fellow Americans. And, you know, I try not to mix politics with sports, but, you know, with, with the situation that we have here and with all the the, the divisiveness that's been happening here, I feel like I have to say something, and, and, and I will, because first things first, before we even get to that, uh, that situation, I, I want to commend Major League Soccer, the United Soccer Leagues, the NPSL, and every other professional and amateur league that tried their best to put out product under such conditions with this coronavirus, it has been a difficult time to get through a complete season. It really has. And some of the things we're seeing with the NBA and the NHL, <clears throat> of course, suspending games rescheduling games, some teams having a, a bit of an outbreak. Once again, I, I think you have to give credit to those in charge of their respective leagues to have a full season, maybe a couple of cases here and there that con were uh, contaminated with the coronavirus. But thankfully, it wasn't all that bad. And I understand we've got these different variants coming in. 
um, especially the new one, Omicron, which I do understand. Some will say it's just as bad as the coronavirus. Some are saying it's really not that bad. It's a milder case. Uh, I am not an expert, nor do I claim to be one. I'm only going by what I have either seen, read, or watched on TV news. I try to go and get informed as much as I can. I even listen to my doctors. I listen to my doctor who informs me about what this situation is all about. Because I want to be informed of what the real problems are with this situation. I don't claim to be an expert, but at the same time, I'm not here to demonize anybody, whether they believe in masking or not, get vaccinated or not, not you know, getting the booster shot or not. I am not here to demonize anybody. I'm here to say, like I've always done my entire life, you do what you got to do. All I can do is give out the public service announcement as much as I can. Do I think and do or do I believe that if we did some of these things earlier without the issues of all of the negative discussions about this coronavirus, you know what, to be honest with you, I think we would have taken care of this a long time ago. I really do. But it's not my place to tell people what they should or should not do. Because I respect each and every one of you. And that's all I can really say. I'm not going to stop talking to someone. I am not going to stop discussing the game with anyone that feels that getting the vaccine is not the, the way to go. I think we've demonized something so simple. It's it's just really difficult to watch how our American government has basically acted on this. We're supposed to be the land of the free and the home of the brave. And right now, we're not acting like that. And for us to get back to that, I think there are certain people out there that must turn a leaf. Who they are, I don't know. Maybe famous television stars, famous movie stars, you know, famous professional athletes. But at the same time, we need these hospitals to bring back people who were unceremoniously relieved of their duties because they would not get the booster shot. If you have a strong immune system, then I think you don't deserve a booster shot. And 
the question, and then the question should be, well, who told you this? And then you should, the person who gets asked this question should say, my doctor. Because the doctors know what, they, what is going on. Our government is not a doctor. Regardless of what Dr. Fauci has said, if your personal doctor does a test and says to you, you have strong antibodies, you don't need the booster, well then there you go. I continue to wear a mask. I continue to wear a mask. I continue to go into places because even though there are places where you don't have to wear a mask, I choose to because I want to respect everyone. <coughs> Excuse me. I want to respect every single person I come in contact with. You want me to wear a mask? Not a problem. Because I'm not in the mood to start a fight. You know what I wish we would have a solution for? How to destroy the coronavirus. I understand the vaccinations. I understand the masks. But don't you think we need more than that? Shouldn't we have something special to put something in the air? And allow a, you know, whether it be a rainstorm, a hailstorm, a snowstorm, whatever, you know, some sort of a storm to saturate the air, saturate the land, and just get rid of everything involving the coronavirus. To me, I think that's the most important thing when you have to really, really concentrate on. I'm not saying the vaccines are not working. I'm just saying maybe it's time to make that next move. Some way, somehow. Because I'll be honest with you. I'm getting sick and tired of this. I'm getting sick and tired of it. We have to find a way to get rid of this coronavirus, and we can all go back to our normal daily lives. That's all it is. Look, the more variants they're coming, the more we have to be aware of. And the only thing we have to make sure is that the doctors and the scientists that are aware of what's been going on with this coronavirus and all these different variants, you know, growing and spreading, gotta find a way to destroy it for good. Now, I admit, I'm a science fiction guy. I was thinking some sort of a air seeder, mechanical flying machine. You can uh, try to find a formula, make. Many, many, many uh, machines create many, many, many formulas and antidotes, pour it into the machine, fly them in the air, enough altitude where the water or the liquid can mix in with the clouds, get a rainstorm, 
And so we can get the, the special rain to saturate the land and the water and the air and get rid of this coronavirus. Once again, it's just a dream. It's a nice little dream I think I can talk about. But the situation, once again, and I want to commend everybody for keeping their heads above water. But the one thing I think we have to stop with is being divisive against each other. There will be those that don't believe in masks. There will be those that don't believe in the coronavirus. Just walk away and leave them alone. Don't pick the fight. Don't bother with it. It's not worth your time nor your energy nor your sanity to get into a fight with one of those things. If you see someone demonstrating over it, ignore them. Stop. Don't engage in conversation. Just keep walking and minding your own business. That's all I can tell you. There's too many fights out in public. There's too many fights on social media. There's just too many of anything negative going on in the world today. Let's just concentrate on what we all know best. The world's favorite game. A little bit of footy here and a little bit of footy there. Because when you talk about the world's game, you've solved an issue conversation, positive dialogue, debates. That is what we want and that is what we need to have. Anything else less than that, it's a waste of time. It's not worth it. They have their own way. You have your own way. I have my own way. I'm, I'm vaccinated. I'm fully vaxxed. I'm happy I did it because I did it for me. I didn't do it for anyone else. I did it for me. I did it for my wife, and I did it for my mother. That's it. Nothing more, nothing less. So all I can say is, is this. If you can, if you, if you can do it, go and get vaccinated. If you're already vaccinated and you have to have the booster, go get the booster. If you don't, so be it. None of my concern. I think that's the biggest common sense that I can give everyone. So let's see how we uh, move forward and uh, just get ready for life through these difficult times. And uh, hopefully everything will be just fine in 2022 because the World Cup is coming. A Winter World Cup, it should be interesting, should be a lot of fun, and hopefully, hopefully, we're all going to take it easy and we're all going to have some fun here. So let's go ahead and let us get ready to have some fun here. Once again, this is the last show of the 2021 season. My guests tonight, later on I'll have Michael Lewis, front row soccer, to talk about the playoffs and other things, including uh, 
There's a book coming out uh, from him very soon. It's just going through the final stages. We'll talk a little bit about that. And once again, uh, to uh, to uh, you know, apologies out to uh, fix that from yesterday's show on the Open Cup Amateur Club's qualified show. I played the wrong audio, and once again, I apologize. I have the right audio this time, <coughs> so we're gonna wait for that. But as of right now, we are waiting for the one and only, and you probably have heard him on or seen him on his video pod, as well as being a guest on other pods like Max Bredos's Soccer OG, and that is the one and only uh, tactical manager, uh, Filippo Silva, uh, who's going to be coming and joining us very soon tonight to talk about the U.S. men's national team and his thoughts uh, to discuss about that going on and everything. So until he gets over here, let me just play that audio for you right now, and hopefully we can get him on. Okay. And good evening, everyone. Welcome back to the American Soccer Show as we continue to review these amateur clubs who have qualified for the 2022 Lamar Hunt U.S. Open Cup. I'm being joined by Mr. Bradley Welsh. He is not only a striker for the club, but he's also the founder of Orlando FC Wolves as they have qualified for the very first time into the 2022 tournament of the U.S. Open Cup. Bradley, thank you for your time, and welcome to the show. Thank you, Daniel. Thank you for having me. It's great to have you on. And um, while obviously you would have loved to have played in that – final qualifier unfortunately south carolina united heat uh forfeited that opportunity to play the 90 minutes still it must have been an amazing feeling to find out that you are one of 11 amateur clubs uh, and one of two southeastern clubs to qualify for the open cup yeah absolutely and you know to your point we we were very excited to play that game um a lot of preparation went into it, you know, since we um, ducked out of the third round. Uh, a lot of what we did in training and, um, you know, playing outside of the competition was in preparation for that game. Um, so, yeah, it was it was definitely a little bit bittersweet. Um, but to that point, uh, once we did get the news and understood what we had accomplished, it's, uh, it's an amazing feat, and we were definitely, were definitely elated to, to be in the actual Open Cup. So, obviously, you've watched a lot of soccer. You know, you watch a lot of games that goes on in MLS here in the States, USL, of course, with Orlando City not far away at Explorer Stadium near downtown Orlando. You've probably watched a lot of Premier League matches, a lot of uh, Bundesliga matches in Europe. But how exciting is it to finally get this opportunity for not just yourself and, and your and the players that you've brought over, but, you know, in the club, but, you know, for having a club that's based in Orlando, which we all know Orlando City is one of the top clubs in MLS, but now with an opportunity, and even though you're going to start in the opening round, the possibilities of having a a run in the Open Cup, have you thought about this already? Have you started dreaming about a big run in the Open Cup? Yeah, so, I mean, I think since the inception of 
of you know us entering the cup, even in our first year um, that we were founded in 2018. Uh, that's always been a dream: is how far can we make it? This has been an important competition for us. Uh, as I mentioned, we didn't waste any time. Um, as soon as you know we were an established club, we we entered as an amateur team trying to to qualify in 2018. Uh, unfortunately, we weren't able to in 2018, 2019. Um, and then COVID hit for 2020. So this is third time's charm for us. Um, and, yeah, so the, the thinking is we're, we're going to go as far as we can. And to your point, you know, um, although Orlando City is the main state club here, um, you know, there's a, a huge footballing crowd um, that just, you know, supports football as a whole. So uh, to be an amateur team to represent uh, this region in the Cup, um, and to my knowledge, we're the, the first amateur team to enter the Cup from Central Florida. Um, you know, we're carrying some weight on our shoulders and hoping that um, we can accomplish some big things and make a bit of a run and see how far we can go. Oh, that would be great to see if you can get all the way to the fourth round. And, you know, maybe the hope would be to be drawn with Orlando City and see what you guys can do with them. Uh, of course, we could always look back uh, a couple of years ago, uh, Christos FC coming out of Maryland, uh, having a hell of a run, unfortunately uh, falling out in the fourth round to D.C. United, but they did score first, and they basically held a very tight match uh, that was like 1-1 through halftime and then all the way towards the late ends of the second half. So I'm really hoping Orlando FC Wolves can give us a show here uh, when it comes to the amateur levels uh, for these clubs that are coming through qualification and everything. Yeah, where are we? You know, a few of us know the amateur history of, of especially in, in history. Um, you know, the South has been qualifying for this competition for, um, you know, a few years now. So, like I said, and that was a big deal for us, uh, you know, because those my teams don't get a lot of the plot. And, and I believe it was Florida Soccer Soldiers, a pretty good run in uh, 2018 or 20. So we're hoping we can replicate something like that. That would be a dream to, uh, to pull Orlando State to make it hard and try to put on a show. Oh, absolutely. Let's hope uh, you guys can get on a magical run as well. Let's go ahead and recap your matches. Um, first round, you had a first round bye in uh, qualification through the southeast region. And then in the second round, you faced Ocean Way, easily handled, Four goals to nil. That had to be a good start for everyone uh, in the amateur qualification round. Yeah, Daniel, actually we did play a first-round match. So um, the SCU Heat game would have been our fourth match in the competition. So in the first round, uh, I believe we were one of only four teams in the competition tasked with potentially playing four matches to qualify. Um, So we played a local team. Uh, just north of Orlando, called Lake Mary Deportivo. Ah, yes. Yeah, so um, similar result. That was 4-0 as well. Um, so to your point, it was a good start. I think, um, you know, getting that result early on in the competition definitely propelled us to, um, you know, work off the back of that result um, and kind of take in that, that same intensity we played in that game into – um, you know, our next two matches, which um, I think, you know, helped us get to the point where we are now. 
Mm-hmm. Absolutely, yes, and you are correct. There it is. Orlando Wolves did uh, defeat Deportivo Lake Mary 4-0 in the opening round, then, of course, Ocean Way in the second round of qualifying. Uh, third round was Miami Soccer Academy, uh, and that was a 3-1 victory. Was that a tougher scenario than the first two? Um, I mean, I'd say all three games were pretty tough. So I know the scoreline might kind of read uh, a little bit differently to that, but, um, you know, we had our hands full in every single game we played. Um, and like I said, the Open Cup games, you know, as, as they go because they're, um, you know, knockout-type games, cup games per se, um, the intensity is way higher. So um, super taxing games. Um, but, yeah, the Miami game uh, was, was definitely a good game. Um, yeah, I felt like, like we took our kids pretty well, um, something we don't necessarily do in league, but in the Open Cup, uh, we've been scoring with a little freedom. So, um, we did shout a, a, a three-down lead and then conceded a bit late. Things got a little bit uh, hairy towards the end, but, um, yeah, no, it, was, it was a good match, just like the other two prior to that. And as we already mentioned, South Carolina United Heat forfeited uh, their match uh, to get to that spot, I guess, due to a roster limitations uh, for that day, unfortunately. But unfortunate for them, not unfortunate for your side. You're going to the first round draw uh, in the U.S. Open Cup. Uh, obviously, the draw probably will not be televised, but you'll be waiting on Twitter or on the U.S. Soccer website to see who you'll be paired against. Who are you looking forward to to possibly... Uh, having your first Open Cup uh, proper match when you get to the end of March of 2022? Yeah, so, I mean, uh, as far as we know, you know, that, that first round will incorporate uh, USL 2 teams, um, NPSL, um, and I believe potentially USL 1. I'm not exactly sure. Um, so we're aware of, uh, you know, a few of the, the USL 2 clubs that are within the area. Um, you know, we're going to have to wait to see if they actually, um, you know, put a bid in to be included. Um, so as as we were informed, that's not completed yet. Mm-hmm. Um, but, uh, yeah, so the only NPSL team that's actually in Central Florida um, are the Panthers. They've been around for uh, about mm-hmm. two or three years. I think one year was disturbed by COVID. Um, so they're definitely a strong outfit. Um, that'd be a, a definitely a tough match for us. And then I believe there's um, Daytona SC in the USL2. Um, so that would be another option there. So it's a team we've actually played in a friendly. Mm-hmm. Um, I believe we went down in that game either 2-1 to one or 2-0 at their home field. Um, and again, they were, they were a good outfit. So we're definitely expecting a tough competition from the first round. So we know we're going to Mm-hmm. What would you be? What would be like if you're able, maybe, to go to Georgia, take on uh, South Georgia Tormenta? That would be an interesting matchup as well. I would like to think. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I don't. I don't know if we know too much about them. But what I do know is that uh, you know the MPSL, USL two, they're they're pretty strong, strong league. Um, you know, we're we're pretty familiar with our guys who played in this competition, um, and obviously, you know, it's. Uh, with a lot of youth exuberance, whereas you know, we're, we're an aging team, so uh, with a good mixture of young players as well. 
Um, so I'm sure, again, they're going to be super intense games, and it also includes some good quality as well. It really should be. <laughs> Other than that, what was the celebrations like with you and your uh, and the rest of the club when you found out or when you informed the news that um, the club has qualified for the Open Cup? There had to be a lot of uh, celebrations going all over Church Street, as far as I can remember how Church Street is during these times and those days back in the day. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Now, uh, yeah, Daniel, I mean, um, and that, that, that's kind of one of the reasons why we were looking forward to actually playing the fourth-round match. Uh, I think we had, we had put a, a pretty big effort into um, getting whatever contingency we do have of support to, to come out to that game. So in, in case that we did uh, manage to, to come out victorious, it would have been nice to share that moment, not just players and club staff, but also whomever, you know, chose to come out and support that night. Um, so obviously delivering the news uh, in a different manner, um, you know, went over a little bit differently, but uh, the excitement was definitely there. All the players understand what this accomplishment means. Uh, as I mentioned, we do have some younger players that still have actions to uh, move on from this level, um, essentially, uh, you know, play above the, the amateur professional level. Mm-hmm. Um, so it, it's a huge accomplishment, and I don't think anyone's taking it for granted. Um, so there, there were a few celebrations, you know, getting together, just a few of the guys and stuff like that uh, to take in the moment, uh, but nothing too crazy. There we go. Great to hear. Well, listen, Bradley... Thank you very much for your time. I really do appreciate it. I hope you uh, have great success uh, in the Open Cup. Once again, the draw will be on January 19th, and let's hope you get a good opponent. Thank you for your time. Absolutely. No, thank you for having me, Daniel. You take care. All right. That is Bradley Welsh from Orlando FC Wolves. Uh, finally playing his audio. It was supposed to be for last night. I made a mistake. But uh, like I said, I wanted to make it up to them uh, over at Orlando FC Wolves as they did qualify for the 2022 Lamar Hunt U.S. Open Cup. My next guest tonight, I'm always happy to have him on my show, the, excuse me, <coughs> excuse me, obviously one of the best soccer writers that I am, I know, there's many others out there, but to me, he will always be the best of the best covering New York City soccer as well as the entire tri-state area, the one and only Michael Lewis, front row soccer, uh, joining me tonight uh, for this final show of 2021. Michael, happy holidays to you. Enjoy. Hope you are doing well, and how are everything? how is everything going so far? Well, first of all, happy holidays to you, your wife, and your family. Um, I'm doing as well as one can be, uh, not seeing as many soccer games in person, as I'm used to, but uh, got a chance to uh, watch the U.S. national team uh, get a familiar result against Mexico and Cincinnati last month, and then <clears throat> was out in Portland for the MLS Cup, um, where NYCFC um, won its first MLS championship. So uh, after a, a, dr- a long drought this year, I got uh, two away games in about a month. But I'm doing well, thank you. Well, that's great to know. And, uh, you know, obviously uh, it's been a long time coming since you've been to a live game, and I'm glad you're able to go to uh, Cincinnati 
And I was also very happy you were able to go to Portland to uh, take a look and see what's happening at MLS Cup Championships. So I'm happy at least you were able to get to two big events this year, Michael. So that's always a positive in my book. Speaking about a book, if I can get into it, um, and I know um, it's not finished yet or it's going through the final stages. You did a book on the uh, Rochester Lancers. Now, of course, that club used to be in the original North American Soccer League. It is, in some form, I believe, a lower division club. I think it's either uh, NPSL or it is an indoor uh, soccer club now. But you know more about that than I do. How did you do this book, and uh, how fun was it to piece it together? First of all, you're right on both accounts. Uh, the Lancers uh, are, have a team in the NPSL and they have an indoor team. The uh, indoor team is dormant this um, major arena soccer league season, and uh, the NPSL, um, we don't know officially if it's coming back yet, but you you hit it right there. As for the book about the original Lancers, it was something, it was a project I wanted to do for years, and life gets in the way of things, as we all know. and then, oh, it must have been 10, 15 years ago, I said, I am going to start putting all this together. I had covered the team for the last six years of its existence. I had a lot of background and detail uh, about their early years. And um, in between doing my day job, I slowly but surely uh, pieced together the history of the team. I had a good idea of what they were about. Um, they were more or less the antithesis of the Cosmos. And what I mean by that is Cosmos owned by um, a company, millionaires with deep pockets, the Lancers for the most part, um, were owned by, let's say, well-to-do men, but definitely not people. They loved the game. They wanted to see the, the sport succeed in Rochester. Getting rich, that would have been nice, but that wasn't their number one goal. They wanted to see the team successful. And the team went through a 14-year run, and it, um, I hate to use the cliche roller coaster ride, but that's what it was. Um, they they literally saved the NASL from going out of business uh, by jumping from the American Soccer League to the NASL uh, for the 1970 season because the NASL had been uh, dwindled down to, to four teams. They needed two teams from the ASL. The Lancers took them and the Washington, um, the Washington team, and um, they literally, like I said, saved the league from extinction. We don't know what would have happened in professional soccer in this country. Maybe Pelé comes to the, uh, a, a team, maybe a team in New York eventually. But um, as they say in um, that, that another famous cliche, May you live in interesting times, and the Lancers certainly did. Sorry for the long answer. No, no, that's fine. I mean, look, you know, those were the days, you know, of, uh, you know, great soccer, a lot of foreign internationals coming over. We don't have to talk about, you know, what the Cosmos did. We all know what they did. You know, great players back in the day, they came over to play at the Giants Stadium, at times Yankee Stadium, you know, Beckenbauer, 
Canalia, Roberto Carlos, Pele, you know, so many wonderful players who were probably still in their prime, couldn't do it in their regular leagues, but were still able to do it uh, here in North America, and, you know, why not? Um, As you said, this project took at least a good six years. How much great stuff did you find out uh, from some ex-players, maybe ex-coaches, ex-front office uh, people that were part of those Lancer teams? Uh, uh, Let's see. I I mined so much. And, you know, it came to a point where I had kept on finding such incredible stuff. I just said, write the damn book. You're going to have to leave something out. So be it. But, you know, they – I'll give you one example. Um, The team uh, back in 1969 when they were playing in the old ASL, they uh, used a DC-3 plane to go go to long road trips so they wouldn't have to bus. So they uh, took a ride uh, on a DC-3, which they shared with the hockey team in Rochester, the Rochester Americans, and they were out of they were out of the hockey season at the time. Um, it was a stormy day. Uh, the game was held up by a couple of hours by a thunderstorm. On the way back, they get hit by a thunderstorm, and oh. the players thought they were going to die in a plane crash. Things were just so crazy there. They were just going all over the place. And I have a, a detailed version of it, uh, having talked to uh, a couple of the players. Uh, and, and one of the owners um, and to give you an idea of what a DC-3 is this is a prop job um, I don't know if uh, your listeners have seen the movie Casablanca it's a similar plane to the one that's used there where it is literally it is not let's say f- flat it is like um, on a slight angle where you ha- when you Walking the back of the plane, you're walking uphill. That's the way uh, they were made way back in the day. Um, and they had enough room for 28 people. Um, and uh, I, after that, the players basically said, there's no way they're going on that plane again. Uh, even <laughs> though uh, they, everyone survived, obviously, or would have been, uh, unfor- would have been an unfortunate, well-known a plane crash, but I'm not going to get into the details. Uh, uh, when the book comes out, people will have to find out the, what was going on there. And that's just one of the things. I mean, um, this was a community. Um, the players lived in the community. The owners lived there as well, too. The, the, they, were, they were known in the community. Um, it, 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 it is so different from today's soccer. And I'm, I don't want to say necessarily the good old days because it, it, you might look back at it and go, yeah, they, that, that seemed to be really, really good. But they, the players didn't play for the money. They played for the love of it. Uh, they weren't getting that much money per game. Um, but uh, they, uh, they, they did it to, um, to, to survive. Uh, and, and again, they, they understood that their playing career was only going to be 10 years at the most. So, um, you know, it's a lot of passion involved back then. Um, and I don't want to give away uh, too much of it, but uh, some unusual things happened. Uh, 
with that team. They went through 22 coaches in their 14 years. So you can get an idea of how crazy things were. They had over 160 players on the team, um, uh, 42 nationalities. um, And uh, for me, as a young writer, I got a chance to, uh, I wanted to travel the world, but what, but what better way to have the world come to you and getting to know all these different nationalities, personalities, and, and whatnot. And it was one hell of an education, which I'm still getting today covering, um, covering the beautiful <laughs> game. Absolutely. I want to throw this question at you, but it's not Lancers related. Maybe a little bit, but not too much, because we know how proud – Western New Yorkers are. They don't want to be known as, you know, us down here in New York City. They right. they have their own identity. You know, they have their own identity, you know, whether they come from Syracuse, Rochester, Buffalo, you know, they do things their own way, which I completely respect. But the mm-hmm. game in Rochester, I think it's taken a large hit. Of course, the Rhinos back in the day. 1999 Open Cup champions. They defeated the Colorado Rapids to be, at the time, the only lower division team to defeat an MLS team to win uh, the, uh, the national championship of American soccer. James, you know, the Dworkins tried to you know, save the Rhinos, and now that they have uh, uh, Jamie Vardy, of course, Leicester City striker, as part of the ownership group with the Dworkins, They've renamed the team Rochester FC or Rochester New York FC. Do you feel right. Rochester fans, do you have a feeling that maybe they're feeling very, very, I wouldn't say they've been delivered a, a sucker punch, but they feel gutted because, you know, the Rhinos were the most updated professional team in soccer over you know, in their backyard, and they built a great stadium. But even though it's been, they say the neighborhood is not great where the stadium is. But you know, I don't know where you're able to put it. But still, um, do you feel and do you concur how Rochester Tonians feel about this situation? Well, I, I think there's probably a mixture of emotions, and what I mean by that is, at one time, the Rhinos we're beating MLS teams or playing MLS teams fairly even in the U S open cup. And they were trying to make a push to get into MLS. And unfortunately those glory days came and went, um, let's say too quickly saying all of that. uh, They had some, they had a stadium built, like you said, maybe not necessarily in the right place in the city, but at least they had, there was a soccer stadium there. Although I have to say, when they played at the baseball park, uh, it had fantastic atmosphere because they were selling out every game. I was to a few of those games, and to me, it didn't matter it, that it was played at a baseball park. Again, it was the atmosphere there. Um, at one time, Rochester had, you know, the Rhinos and playing uh, in the A League, and they also had the Western New York Flash playing in the uh, NWSL. And within a, a couple of years, they lost both teams. One, well, the Western New York Flash were, were sold to new owners and they moved to North Carolina, became the North Carolina Courage. 
the the, um, the rhinos decided to take um, uh, a leave of absence after what the 2017-2018 season um, because of uh, on my read of, of factors and I won't get into it because the show isn't long enough for this but um, mm-hmm. eventually the Jawarkins came back with the team like you said the uh, Rochester New York FC uh, although I kind of like the Rhinos um, I'm old fashioned with the nicknames um, so to answer your question I think it was a gut punch to a lot of soccer um big-time soccer uh, supporters in Rochester uh, because you get used to having quality players. I mean, the women who played for the, the Western New York Flash, um, you know, Sam Kerr, Alex Morgan, um, I, I don't have all their names in front of me, but you could put together one hell of a, a national team. Many members of the U.S. national team played there, too. So when you get used to seeing the cream of the crop play there year in, year out, particularly on the women's end, and you have nothing, yeah, it's a gut punch. And they they do have – they had a Rochester Lancers women's team, and in deference to them, they were nowhere near the quality of the Western New York Flash, and I think they'll be the first ones to tell you that. Um, now it looks like there could be a renaissance with the, the new – Rochester team and MLS Next Pro and the Flower Union, oh, I'm sorry, Flower City Union in uh, NISA. And if the Lancers come back, there'll be three teams um, in, in Rochester. Granted, two will be uh, professional and, and the Lancers will be uh, amateur, but you, you, they go from feast to famine and it looks like they're ready to go to feast again. Um, love to see them get another women's team, but that could be a, a long shot. Mm-hmm. Very true. Uh, so let's delve into MLS Pro next, the brand new Division Three league uh, from Major League Soccer, which will have uh, the majority of the two teams that were in both USL Championship and League One of USL. Obviously, the Galaxy will remain there for 2022, Red Bulls 2, Atlanta United 2, Loudoun United, the D.C. United affiliated club, and then they'll all move to officially join in 2023 with Rochester, New York FC, um, also starting off in 2022. Has this question been answered in your mind? Because we all know about the reserve leagues, that how MLS tried to do a reserve league for some of these players who don't get the minutes that they get to play or they don't start games for their respective clubs in MLS. Do you feel that this does officially answer the question and that the league does have the financial resources to keep it going? I I think knowing the way powers that be think at at MLS, they don't like to put the cart in front of the horse. And I think they know that they have – the financial resources to, to at least start it and keep it going for several years. Um, and, and maybe beyond that, I don't know exactly how much money is involved, but um, the fact that uh, they are, you know, with, with some bringing in money and um, teams doing well in attendance, at least, well, improving in attendance before the pandemic 
hit two years ago. I can't say I can't believe I'm saying two years ago because that's what it was essentially. Um, I, I think they know that it's, it's about time. Let's have a reserve league. That's what essentially it is. I know the Rochester team is going to be the only independent club, at least early on. Um, and it'll be an interesting experiment to see how an independent team in an MLS league relates to the league and other teams because they don't necessarily have to answer to a parent team. They're going to be their own boss, if you know what I mean, they, the parent team or a parent league for that matter. Um, I, I think, you know, I think this was something MLS wanted to do for a while, and I think the, they felt this was the right time to do it. Yeah, I mean, I can understand why they're doing it, and I'm not uh, disagreeing with that idea. I think it's a wonderful idea. But if I can ask you this, we have USL League One, we have NISA, and now the MLS Next Pro League, or then the MLS Pro Next League. And they're all jumbled up in Division Three. Now, I'm mm-hmm. not going to say I'm not going to say I'm expecting U.S. Soccer to be like what the English FA does, you know, one through nine leagues and one through nine divisions or anything. But do you feel maybe that's the next step is to separate some of these leagues and call just for the hell of it uh, NISA Fourth Division and then? this new MLS league of fifth division. And then you can say NPSL USL league two as sixth and seventh division, or at least sixth division. Huh. I, I just, I, I just feel like there's just so much log jam. And I know we're a massive nation. I know we're, we're large with the, with the room and the space and the land, but still though, I mean, when you ask certain people who are, you know, they believe in one league, one division, and that's it. And I'm not getting into the pro rel. That, that, that's another discussion for another time. <laughs> but, you know, do you feel that we should at least now make more divisions for U.S. soccer than what we have seen so far? Uh, that might be difficult to do because everyone wants to be that second or third division um, I know USL Championship is the second division, and like you said, uh, you've got a logjam for the uh, for the third tier. Um, I don't think anyone wants to give up that third tier um, sanctioning and become a fourth or fifth or sixth division. That will be difficult. Things might sort themselves out over the next several years because, like it or not, teams, independent clubs, come and go some you know they get owners that have some money they want to start something and some sometimes it works sometimes it doesn't um but I, I just don't think nisa or um or even though usl league one would want to give up um that that distinction of being a third division i know what you mean it's a it's a ridiculous log jam there must be what how many uh, what, 50 teams there probably, 40, 50 teams mm-hmm. there. And I know, Combined, and I know the yeah. NPSL, yeah, and the NPSL is, you know, below that with League Two. And um, there's a, it, it, it sort of reminds me, I'm getting, I'm probably going to get off on a bit of a tangent here, but it kind of reminds me of 
what minor league baseball was back in the 1930s and 40s, where it seemed like every team, every town had its own um, baseball team to call. And, you know, and it seems like every town in this country uh, or every fairly large-sized town has its own soccer team. I'd like to think things will shake themselves out over the next several years. Don't ask me why. There's no, uh, I have no formula on that. It's just a gut feeling. That's fine. And, um, you know, we'll see what happens down the road. And I think that's the big question mark that needs to have an exclamation point on our period. We'll see what happens down the road. Um, this year's MLS Cup playoffs, how exciting were they from your perspective and uh, after you answer that question, I'm going to throw out another one and uh, get your response to it. But uh, overall, as a whole, did this live up to the billing that we all expected it to be? Uh, yes, it did, because we just did not know where things were going to go left and right. There were upsets, uh, particularly, you know, both conferences, but especially uh, out west. Who would have ever thought we had Salt Lake? would have um, been giant killers like that. And I'm, I'm very happy for Pablo Mastriani for getting um, from going from an interim coach to a permanent coach because of uh, the team's success. But uh, I would never have predicted Portland versus Real Salt Lake in the Western Conference final. And I never would have predicted NYCFC against Philadelphia in the Eastern Conference final. Like everyone else, well, I shouldn't say like everyone else, but like many people, heck, I thought uh, New England was going to go, you know, roll through it. Um, they had a fantastic regular season, and they had what, whom I consider the best coach in U.S. soccer history, Bruce Arena. But problems, they had a long layoff uh, because of the uh, World Cup qualifying schedule, and of course, um, they got a bye in the first round of the playoffs, and they came out. New England came out rusty against uh, NYCFC, and NYCFC took advantage of that. Um, it was this is as crazy and unpredictable a year of the playoffs as we've seen. And I'll just say, thank God I'm not a betting man because I would have lost a lot of money if I would have put down <laughs> money on on some of the favorites. Now, I am not – there's nothing you can do about it. New York City FC are the defending right now. They have won the MLS Cup. They are the champions of the league. They won the big, tri, the big title over at Providence Park. But there are still some people out there that believed MLS should have at least pushed back the Eastern Conference Final another week to, pl- to allow 11 players – who were affected by the coronavirus, including the starting goalkeeper in Andre Blake, their two big center backs in McGlynn and Glesnes. We all know the Polish, ha- excuse me, the Norwegian hammer. I got to make sure I get that correct because he's Norwegian. Uh, and we all know about what he did against the Red Bulls with that rocket of a shot. Um, and a couple of other, and even including Joe Bendik, who was the backup goalkeeper. They used their third string goalkeeper to play in the most important uh, conference final game. Do you feel, because this is what I've seen on Twitter, and I can only go by what I've seen on Twitter, 
I've seen Philadelphia fans put an asterisk on top of the New York City FC logo because they felt that, well, if we had a, you know, a healthy, full squad, the union, the union fans felt that their team were going to be in the MLS Cup. On paper, there's no doubt that... Your feeling uh, or your uh, opinion. Oh, I'm sorry. Well, first of all, no, no doubt I think uh, uh, the union had an excellent team when they had all of the players available. Um, the COVID thing was made the playoffs so unpredictable because it could have hit anyone, you know, any player, any coach, heck, any member of the media too. Um, um, all things being equal, it would have been nice if the, if the league pushed it back, but then they would have had to push back MLS cup. They didn't want to push it a week before Christmas. I, uh, this is my gut feeling on that. I, I, I could be wrong. And I think they just wanted to go with the schedule. I think the leagues, their, their hearts were broken that one of the teams did not have their key players. I mean, you're talking about Andre Blake, who I think should be playing in Europe somewhere. He's that good of a goalkeeper. And you've I got agree. some other really fine players on, on the Philadelphia Union as well. But I think they had to follow the schedule, like it or not. Um, and I, I give I, I give the Union and, and the players that they uh, utilize in, in the match against NYCFC a lot of credit. They did a fantastic job. Um, of keeping the game uh, close and, and even uh, before uh, NYCFC uh, scored the game winner so late in the match. But I, I think the league had to stick by its schedule. Um, uh, as, as a soccer purist, I want to see every game played with no key players injured. And I knew, I knew like many other media people and fans that it, that wasn't going to be the case in the Eastern Conference final, unfortunately. But I think the MLS had to stick by its schedule. Yeah, that's understandable. Um, I mean, it's tough to see that happen. And you, I mean, don't get me wrong. I mean, you know, those players did an admirable job of staying with New York City. I know when NYCFC scored the own goal to give the union the lead, I thought to myself, well, maybe maybe there'll be a miracle here, but then NYCFC comes out of nowhere and bangs in two goals before you get into second half stoppage time, and uh, they win the East, and they went on to Portland and defeated them in penalties in the MLS Cup final. Um, right. What amazes you about the, you know, this crazy ride we've had for these past two years? coronavirus, not knowing if we were ever going to have a league season back last year in 2020. Coming back now, we have a league season. It's mostly Eastern Conference opponents. We only played two teams in the West, uh, one at home, one on the West Coast, and you had an entertaining playoffs. I mean, how much credit does Don Garber deserve for these past two years that he has been able to work a miracle in having two successful league seasons, you know, forced into it because of coronavirus. 
Well, I think he, he should get credit, and so should the rest of the league, and his staff should get credit too. Um, and let's face it, I think they might be the first one to tell you that they were lucky at times too that they didn't have to shut down um, after the league came back in, in the middle of, of 2020. Um, some of it is luck, and some of it is, is planning, and, uh, yeah, they've got, you've got to give them credit. Um, and I think they're probably hoping that nothing happens in 2022 uh, because crazy stuff could happen there as well. Mm-hmm. No, that's very true. And we'll have to wait and see what happens when the league gets underway at the end of February. And, of course, CONCACAF Champions League will begin as well in the middle of February, too. Any final thoughts on this calendar year, Michael? Um, any other thoughts about the national team? What do you think about what Burhalter has done? I mean, I'll say this about Greg Burhalter. I think it is a a miracle at some thing, at some things he's done during international games. The best thing he's ever done, to be fair, beating Mexico three times in a calendar year, in a single calendar year, Nations League final championship. Gold Cup Championship with a lesser roster, and of course the World Cup Qualifier, they do it again with Dulce Zero in Cincinnati. What can you say about Burhalter on that situation? Um, I think he took a, a, a young bunch of players, um, molded them into a, a unit, an A team, B team, and maybe a C team, although they might not like to say that. But he's got them believing in a system, believing in themselves. They're not perfect by any means. They've got a lot of college-age players. But let's face it, um, World Cups are won by younger players, believe it or not. Um, I'm not saying 18-, 19-year-olds, but I think he knows he's got a golden generation to work with, some very special players, Pulisic, McKinney, uh, Reyna. Hopefully he gets uh, healthy quickly for the U.S.'s sake. Um, and he had a vision, and he's put it together. Has it been perfect? No. And I know a lot of people have complained about that. Oh, we should win in here on the road. We should win there. They don't understand how difficult it is to win in CONCACAF against so-called <clears throat> smaller countries, but yet I've been down there. I know how intimidating some of those stadiums can be, uh, those crowds can be in the, in the stadiums. All things considered, I think, Greg Berhalter has done a good job. Ultimately, the final report card won't come until March to see if the U.S. gets into the World Cup. And then there'll be another report card oh, about next year, about this time, if the U.S. does get into the World Cup. Exactly. And let me just throw one of those things out there for, uh, at you. I understand there are certain players that are playing in clubs in Europe and that they're getting the best amount of le- learning, uh, you know, managing, uh, training. And I'm talking about Zach Steffen, actually. I'm not saying I don't believe in him as a goalkeeper. I think he's a very good – he has his quirks. I think um, there's some issues that he probably needs to fix. But he's not starting at Manchester City. And I understand he's, he's training almost every day with some of the best players in the world. Mm-hmm. Yet, I only see him during 
knockout tournaments like the FA Cup and the League Cup. Sure, he had one Premier League game, but that's because Ederson was coming back from Brazil, and the time to come back from Brazil to go back to England was too short. He couldn't have played. He was going from leaving Brazil on a Thursday to go back to England on a Friday, and then you've got to get reacclimated to English time on a Saturday. You can't do that. Do you feel, and as good as Zach Steffen has been, maybe a game or two, I still felt he didn't deserve to be the starter against Costa Rica in Columbus. But then again, you know, what do I know? But, you know, I saw him leave his line for no reason. Then he gets scored on afterwards. I mean, is that a gamble that Burhalter is having with his starting goalkeeper? Is he making a controversial decision because he knows Zach very well? He's probably making a controversial decision, according to the fans. I think he does know what Zach can do. Uh, there's no doubt that playing in games is the best remedy for a goalkeeper playing uh, day, you know, week in, week out, or two or three times a week or whatever. Um, and I think for Zach Stefan's future, he's got to find a team where he could play regularly. It's great being on Manchester City. Don't get me wrong. You're going to get medals. You're going to be at a high-quality um, type of training, no doubt about it. You've got a, a superb goalkeeper in front of you, too, that you could learn from. But there comes a time when I think he's got to literally fly on his own. And um, I think that time is now. I don't think this is the right year to do it right now to find a new team in a World Cup year. But after the World Cup, I'd like to think that Zach Steffen and maybe a few other players will move around to new teams because they need to get – more experience. I don't care. It's all about playing. Uh, you want to play for a quality side, yes. But uh, and I know it's a gamble for a U.S. player going over overseas. Um, you might play for a high elite team, and or at least sign with an elite team, and you might not get playing time. On the other end of things, you might sign or join a, a lower team and you might get playing time, but maybe the quality of play isn't as great. It's a tough business it's, and U.S. players aren't the only ones that go through that. Yeah. I definitely agree with you there and we'll see what happens with these final six um, games remaining in January and uh, February for that one game in March. So we'll see what happens. So, but all I can say is, is this, Michael. Listen, thank you again for always coming on the show. You know how much I appreciate you coming on. Thank you for doing the work that you do for this game. And uh, I hope next year, I'm hoping I'll see you at Red Bull Arena or at Yankee Stadium, and we'll see uh, how New York City soccer is going to be like uh, with another year, and hopefully the COVID will be gone by then. We'll see what happens. But listen, happy holidays to you and your family once again and have a good night and thank you very much for your time Uh, you're welcome thank you very much for the kind words and have a happy holidays as well too thank you uh michael lewis ladies and gentlemen front row soccer and uh so many uh wonderful moments this man gives when covering the uh new york city soccer and the national team and it's going to be a lot of fun So all I can do is just say, uh, just been in contact with Filippo Silva. Obviously, there's been emergency, and um, 
he had to take care of something. I'm glad he's doing okay, though. So uh, I'm just glad that Mr. Silva is all right. And hopefully we'll get him on start of next year. So all you can do is just, uh, you know, you hope and everything's all right and everything's okay and you just move forward. So as uh, the show comes to a close for another season of American Soccer in the Books, time for me to take a break. And uh, I'll let everybody know when the first show of 2022 will begin. And this should be a lot of fun. This should be exciting. A year of American soccer where the World Cup will not interfere with MLS, USL, any pro leagues, and anything in Open Cup. We will have a World Cup in the wintertime, in the middle of November through the middle of December. And then, then... The next four years, it's coming home, ladies and gentlemen. Sharing it with our neighbors and friends in Canada to the north, Mexico to the south. This is going to be a lot of fun, and this is going to be exciting. So, all I can say is this. I want to thank all my guests for coming on uh, the show this season. You know who they are. You know who some of them are. Um, it's a lot of fun to do this show with great people and, uh, you know, dedicated people for this game. Um, and I'm also grateful uh, for the NPSL for being, of course, a media partner with them with another great season of NPSL discussion in the books. And, uh, you know, I, I value that friendship, that relationship with the NPSL. So I just want to say to them once again, thank you very much. And thank God, after two years of no Open Cup review shows, here we go, folks. It's on. It's on like Donkey Kong. We're going to have those Open Cup review shows back. It's going to be exciting and fun. I cannot wait. My name is Daniel Feuerstein. I want to thank one more time both Bradley Welsh for the recorded interview. I also want to thank Michael Lewis for coming on. My name is Daniel Feuerstein. Thank you very much for listening to me tonight. And as always, please enjoy your football. Everyone, happy holidays. Be safe. Be kind to one another. Treat each other with respect. No matter who you are, what you are, where you are, and where you came from. Let's try and get that respect back, okay? Common sense needs to be used as soon as possible. Thank you again, and as always, please enjoy your football. Have a good night, take care so long, and bye-bye for now.